Up front next, Trump's gag order back on. An appeals court rules the former president cannot go after witnesses in the DOJ election interference case, but he is free to attack the special counsel. So how far will Trump go? And Israel raises its flag in Gaza City, a highly provocative move, as the United States stands alone in vetoing a U.N. resolution calling for a ceasefire. Plus, grim. That's how one veteran Democratic pollster describes his latest findings. Young voters, black voters, Latino voters, LGBTQ voters, all collectively giving Donald Trump higher grades than President Biden. So what's going on? I'll ask him. Let's go out front. Good evening, everyone. I'm John King, in for Aaron Burnett. Out front tonight, Trump silenced. A D.C. Court of Appeals upholding most of a gag order in the federal 2020 election case. The three judges say Trump can no longer target witnesses or single out individuals related to the court proceedings. The court writing, quote, we agree. Some aspects of Mr. Trump's public statements pose a significant and imminent threat to the fair and orderly adjudication of the ongoing criminal proceeding. Since he was charged, of course, Trump has repeatedly gone after potential witnesses. Remember, he called his former vice president, Mike Pence, delusional, mocked his former attorney general, Bill Barr, as, quote, slow thinking and lethargic. And he tore into his former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, who received immunity in order to testify in that federal case. Trump writing, some people would make that deal, but they are weaklings and cowards and so bad for the future of our failing nation. As for the former president, he's vowing tonight to appeal, posting online, quote, what is becoming of our First Amendment? The judges, preempting Trump's defense, say in the final paragraph of their ruling, Mr. Trump is a former president and current candidate for the presidency, and there is a strong public interest in what he has to say. But Mr. Trump is also an indicted criminal defendant, and he must stand trial in a courtroom under the same procedures that govern all other criminal defendants. Evan Perez is out front live in Washington tonight. Evan, what else can you tell us about what the judges say in this important ruling? Well, John, you could hear the reluctance, certainly when we were listening to the court hearing, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, uh, that there was a great reluctance by these judges to muzzle the former president. Uh, they understood his arguments that he does have this First Amendment right. Of course, he's a, uh, a leading candidate for president and the public does have a right to hear from him. But they clearly also said that you can't just allow uh, complete First Amendment uh, freedoms here when it comes to a criminal trial. He has to be treated like any other criminal defendant. And they say, as you pointed out, they say this is what the rule of law means. And so that's why uh, today you saw this ruling, which is pretty lengthy and you can see it very, very thoughtful. Uh, one of the things they did concede to the former president, though, is that he is allowed to criticize Jack Smith. This is something that was not in the original order. In the original order, he was not allowed to, to talk about Jack Smith. He can criticize the prosecution of himself. He can, criti he can say, uh, criticize the Justice Department. He can criticize uh, Joe Biden. He can say that the prosecution of uh, Donald Trump is uh, politically motivated. All of those things are permissible. The other thing that was interesting in this ruling, John, is the, the three panel, uh, three panel here really pushed back on Donald Trump's very, very well-documented efforts to, uh, to try to delay this trial. Uh, one of the things they say is that allowing that to happen, it would be counterproductive and create perverse incentives and unreasonably burden the judicial process. So we can expect that the former president, of course, is going to go to the Supreme Court to try to uh, get this uh, ga gag order t tossed out. Uh, but, you know, the, the record here is very clear that the judges know what Donald Trump's record is when he comes to his uh, attacks on people, some of these witnesses, and they want to try to preserve this trial, which is scheduled to get started in March.
in March in the thick of the campaign. Evan Paris, thanks for that tonight. Out front now, Alyssa Farrah Griffin. She's the former White House communications director for Trump. Ryan Goodman, Just Security co-editor-in-chief. And Laura Coates, our CNN senior legal analyst and the anchor, of course, of Laura Coates Live. Ryan, follow up on what we just heard from Evan. What do you see as the most significant pieces of this? Uh, I think the most significant piece is what the ruling is actually about, is now imposing a gag order on the former president. And then the big question is, does he cross that line? The court is also pretty specific about saying, you know, the line that we're drawing here that you can't really attack witnesses or speak about those witnesses uh, in terms of their testimony in the case is similar to the line on the conditions for your release. So they really are saying, you know, your legal jeopardy, your legal jeopardy and your liberty is maybe at stake here if you cross these lines because the conditions of release are also you're not supposed to communicate with other witnesses and what are these social media tweets and truth posts, but they're communicating with the witnesses by threatening them as well. Alyssa, you're unique among us. You have been in the room when people have tried to tell Donald Trump, don't say it, sir, Um, in a political setting, not a legal setting like this, but he likes to test lines. He likes to cross lines. Uh, He doesn't want to lose money, fines, certainly doesn't want to go to jail. Uh, What are you expecting here? Listen, Donald Trump, if anything, is a deeply undisciplined person. I can't count the number of times that we agreed you shouldn't do this because it will jeopardize X, and he goes out and immediately does it. I would be stunned if he doesn't end up violating this in some way or another. What's going to be interesting is if the judge does choose to take an action beyond a fine. At the end of the day, this is a high net worth individual. $10,000 is a drop in the bucket to him. Does he actually tape the step if he goes further of potentially giving him jail time? So, Laura Coates, let's get into that. You're a former Justice Department prosecutor. You understand how the courts work and these judges. What does a judge does not want to send a president, a former president who's an active candidate to jail, but the judge also wants to say, you know, I issued a ruling and you need to follow it. How's this going to play out? Well, he doesn't want to do that, of course, because any judge would not want to, because there's that phrase, no one's above the law. Wouldn't that put somebody who uh, says they're a candidate above other particularly similarly situated defendants? We don't want to have inequities exist there. But think about how significant this is. And Ryan alluded to this point as well. This stops the end run around the order that says you cannot communicate with witnesses, but trying to give them the message just the same. If It won't mean anything if you cannot directly intimidate or threaten a witness, giving perverse incentives about whether they want to testify again, deterring them from coming forward and having due process in not just this case, but other cases as well. And you can just simply put it on social media and get the message. A judge will not take this lightly. They said as much in this actual um, uh, Uh, hearing and also in the ruling today. Why? Because the First Amendment implications, because they know about free speech, because he's a candidate, but does not give him an excuse to just defy court orders or to invite, really, the reversal of due process. And so Trump, Ryan, cannot go after the former vice president, his former chief of staff, any other potential witnesses in this case. But the court did say the Justice Department and the special counsel are fair game. That surprise you or is that the right call? It's a difficult question. I think it's an appropriate call, so it's within the bounds. And it makes sense in a certain way. They're also saying this is part of the First Amendment issue, that individuals have an ability and a greater ability to criticize their government and public officials. And who is Jack Smith but an arm of the Justice Department? So that's why the Justice Department is a fair target, and that's why Jack Smith, to a certain degree, is a fair target. So it makes sense in that way. On the other hand... (laughs) You could also say trying to intimidate the very prosecutor, that's not, that is a line that people should never cross. Most defendants should never cross that line. And it also could pollute the jury pool. But the court is also saying today we're really concerned about the administration of justice. We're not today considered, considering the jury pool. So that might be left for another day. And Alyssa, we're going to see the president publicly next week. Uh, he's been attending his trial he, at the end of this week. But he's supposed to testify 
on Monday, six weeks in the Iowa caucuses. Most of his opponents have been. What does that tell you about his, well, his priorities or whether, whether he's choosing them or not right now? I mean, I think to the American public, it just underscores he is more focused on staying out of jail than he is on actually campaigning and winning and earning voters' uh, votes. He didn't show up for any of the Republican debates, yet he's been sitting in on these court dates. I, by the way, would say I think it's 50-50 he actually testifies. I think his, his lawyers are probably trying to walk that back. I think that there's a lot of danger there. But this, again, this is about him. This is not about what his voters are looking for. And Laura, another big legal development in the last 24 hours is the charges against President Biden's son, Hunter Biden, who's now been indicted by the special prosecutor, federal case, nine tax-related charges, three of them for tax evasion, filing false documents. House Republicans also are investigating Hunter Biden. And this one seems a bit odd to me. Tell me what you think. The Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer just said this to Jake Tapper about the new federal charges. My concern is that Weiss may have uh, indicted Hunter Biden to protect him from having to be deposed in the in the House Oversight Committee on Wednesday. Weiss, the special counsel, is a Donald Trump appointee. He was the U.S. attorney in Delaware, held over for this case. Does that make any sense to you? No. You can easily dismiss that as maybe searching for a reason and grasping at straws to suggest that the reason they will not take yes for an answer on Capitol Hill as to his statement, I'll, he'll testify, he'll do it in open, he'll do it in front of a camera, but they want to be behind closed doors. They can potentially have the effect of saying what they'd like to say happen. That's not really the protection mechanism they're talking about here. I think it's fascinating to think about Hunter Biden and Donald Trump having something very much in common these days, and that is they are both talking about the political machine trying to undermine their pursuit of justice. But on one hand, we talk about Donald Trump, he has a hand in that by trying to, in many respects, dictate the terms and express it in ways that are not truthful and forthcoming. On the other hand, Hunter Biden asking to have the opportunity to do so, but nonetheless having a similar argument from the Congress. But at the end of the day, when you look at both of these different cases, and you look at what Hunter Biden is charged with, we look at what Donald Trump is charged with, both require and deserve the presumption of innocence and not mm -hmm. to have everything litigated in the court of public opinion. Now, courts are meant to do just that. Congressional guardline, guardrails are not in place in the same way as it would be in a court of law. So I suspect both attorneys would have a vested interest in having their clients be a little bit um, quiet about what could go in front of Congress or in front of a camera. If you read the new indictment, Ryan, against Hunter Biden, it's very well documented, very serious tax evasion charges. Most tax cases are settled, especially if the feds have the documentation. Uh, no tax cases in my lifetime have involved the president's son 11 months before a presidential election. What happens here? In a normal case, I think he would try to settle and plead. It's a strong case against him, and it's not worth the risk. Um, and then I think he could, in some ways, have gotten off. But we've already run that right. <laughs> movie, and it didn't work out well for him, and it collapsed. So I do think that he's in jeopardy, um, serious jeopardy. And we'll see, in all likelihood, it looks like it's going to go to trial. When I started in this business, when there was a big case in federal court, the politicians knew the lesson was just leave it alone. Let the courts run their course and then come in with your oversight. The House Republicans don't see it that way. No, nor does Hunter Biden, who wants this uh, day right. in an open setting to defend himself, despite the fact that the White House and the president would much prefer that he handle this privately and not expose it to public scrutiny. Big developments, Alyssa Farah. Griffin, Ryan Goodman, Laura Coates, thanks. We want to note for you, Laura, we'll be back tonight, of course, for Laura Coates Live at 11 o'clock. She's also got a very busy weekend co-hosting the CNN Heroes All-Star Tribute this Sunday night, 8 o'clock. Thank you all for your time. Out front next, intense house-to-house -house combat in southern Gaza today. As one UN agency operating there says it believes it is headed for collapse. Plus, 
One veteran Democratic pollster says President Biden has problems with nearly every reliable Democratic voting bloc. Are there any bright spots for the president? And a barrage of missiles aimed at Ukraine today. As Vladimir Putin announces, yes, he's running for re-election. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support, your sleep number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number Limited Edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life. Lately, we have been paying attention to a very different virus, bird flu, which is caused by the H5N1 virus. If you start to hear that it's circulating in pigs, that would be a concern. That means I would go from sleeping with one eye open to one and a half eyes open. Yeah, that would make me very concerned. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. Tonight, intense close quarter combat. That is what is happening, taking place inside southern Gaza. The Israeli Defense Force is releasing video of soldiers moving through Khan Yunus, Gaza's second largest city. Israel claims it killed dozens of terrorists and destroyed tunnels in that operation. And in the north, you'll see it here, an Israeli flag raised in the middle of Gaza City. That, to many, a very provocative gesture. Israel pounding Gaza with 450 strikes over the past day, the highest number since the fighting resumed. The aftermath of those strikes leaving a number of civilians dead and injured. Hospitals say they are at a breaking point. As the situation in Gaza grows increasingly grim, The United Nations Agency for Palestinian Refugees says it's on the verge of collapse. The agency's head writing this, quote, in my 35 years of work in complex emergencies, I never have expected to write such a letter predicting the killing of my staff and the collapse of the mandate I am expected to fulfill. Ben Wiedemann is out front. Eight-year-old Mohammed is doing his daily chores, fetching water, collecting scraps of paper and plastic to start a fire to help his mother cook their daily meal, but he'd rather be elsewhere. You think I like it here, asks Mohammed. Of course we don't. It's terrible. I want to go home, where we had food and water. That buzzing comes from Israeli drones hovering overhead. They never go away. He's been deprived of his childhood, says his mother, Omar Day. He can't live like a normal child. He can't go to school. He misses his friends. More than anything, the children here miss a sense of safety. Overnight, Israeli warplanes struck the Yaffa Mosque in Deir el-Bela. No one was there, but everyone heard it. In the camp, the best parents can do is keep the kids' minds off the danger. 
I play with them, I joke with them, distract them from their misery, says Ahmed Khalid. When they hear the bombing, they're terrified. But there is no escape. These children have already seen too much. We miss our town, we lived well, says Jawahir. Now all we see are dead bodies everywhere. There are no basic services here. The garbage piles up in the street. Says Mohammed, we go from one place to the other and they keep bombing us. Yet they still play as the drones buzz overhead. Ben Wiedemann joins us. Ben, remarkable, remarkable reporting on those children who are, of course, caught in the middle of this. You have such deep experience in the region. The Israeli flag raised and flown in the middle of Gaza City today. In some ways, you might say military tradition. You take territory, you raise your flag. But do you see a more provocative message here? Well, keep in mind, John, that is Palestine Square, and that is a very big flag in the middle of it. Now, the Palestine Square is where, uh, during the seven-day truce, Hamas handed over some of the hostages. And that was after, on the 14th of November, Yoav Gallant, the Israeli defense minister, uh, came out and said Hamas had lost control of northern Gaza. Above and beyond that, I think this is Israel's way of saying we have retaken this part of Gaza. But keep in mind uh, that in 19, June 1967, Israel totally defeated the armies of Egypt, Jordan, and Syria, took Gaza, the Sinai Peninsula, the West Bank, the Syrian Golan Heights, in just six days. The Israeli ground offensive has been going on since the 27th of November. And still Israel has not been able to defeat Hamas. Still Hamas is firing uh, missiles toward Tel Aviv, uh, to the Israeli towns around uh, the Gaza Strip. I think they need to show the public that they are gradually retaking Gaza. The question is, how long are they going to hold it, John? Ben Wiedemann, in very important context, live in Jerusalem tonight. Ben, thanks so much. Out front next, young voters, black voters, Latino voters, LGBTQ voters, all collectively giving Donald Trump a higher approval rating than President Biden. The Democratic pollster Stan Greenberg, who calls his own findings grim, is out front. Plus, the Harvard president breaking her silence tonight after coming under fire for this. Dr. Gay, at Harvard, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment, yes or no? It can be, depending on the context. Tonight, quote, this is grim. Those are the words of the veteran Democratic pollster Stanley Greenberg. Those words about his latest poll of thousands of voters in the battleground states. Greenberg, who teams up with James Carville at the Democracy Corps, found that among voters who usually make up the Democratic base, young voters, black voters, Hispanic voters, Asian voters, LGBTQ voters, get this, all of them collectively gave Donald Trump a higher approval rating than President Biden. Those findings despite increasingly positive economic news. Just today, the jobs report showing 199,000 jobs added last month in November. The unemployment rate dropping to just 3.7%. Stan Greenberg is out front tonight. Uh, Stan, uh, we've known each other a long time. You've been doing this a long time. You paint a very grim picture. I know you say grim, but, but let's start with the grim. What was the most sobering thing you learned about the president's standing? Yes, I, I re reiterated uh, Grimplas um, because the, there is a path. Uh, but the, 
the grim is in the fact that the the base is the problem. Um, that the you have a you know we're behind in this race in the uh, in the base. Approval of the president is lower than that of Trump. You know in the you know in the base and you know the probably the hardest part about that is that it's the issues that play. It's not just we're not doing well now and inevitably the structure of the race, you know, will we'll come back. I think we're dealing with issues of prices, wages not keeping up with inflation. We're dealing with crime. We're dealing with the border. So we're dealing with, you know, we're dealing with issues that are eroding our people on the issues. Now we can, we can, I believe, get them back. I think there's a path in this poll. There's a structure that's actually pretty democratic. You know, if you look beyond the president's numbers, uh, but there's also a path for him, you know, in these. Do you ask voters about 32 specific topics and the president of the United States led on only six of those 32? His bright spots included women's rights, climate change, addressing racial inequality. Uh, I want you to go through that and give me your view of how he gets on the path back. But let me frame it this way. Uh, we spent a lot of time together in a campaign a long time ago. There was an incumbent president, George H.W. Bush, who, like this president, kept saying, look, the numbers are finally getting better. The economy is getting better. Uh, George H.W. Bush was unable to convince the American people and Bill Clinton won the presidency because people wanted change and they wouldn't listen. Is President Biden at risk of having an electorate that wants change and won't listen? Um, I think he's going to be listening because um, I think this poll, I believe, will matter. And by the way, if you look at this poll, look, what you need to look at is where the intensity is and the issues that really you know, push to each side. And there you see w women's rights. There you see health care. There you see... Uh, you know, democ democracy is like slightly you know, to our advantage. Uh, but the, those are the issues. We're being hurt by crime, border, and wages not keeping up with prices. If the president, I believe, is looking at his own base of voters, keep in mind these are black, Hispanic voters, uh, young voters, uh, and they want to lean into him offering the kinds of benefits that are critical to surviving with this kind of inflationary period. The inflationary period is not going to end. I mean, people are still struggling. We know that people rate the economy in your own poll very poor. Uh, you know, in the in their late in their latest poll. But we, you know, but what we show in our message is that if you make a contrast, you know, going forward, talking about what he's done, but also make a very strong contrast with Democrats dealing with. Uh, the child tax credit and, and, and drug costs, um, you know, the Republicans race, you know, being for the rich and not and not and not, you know, willing to uh, protecting their, you know, their uh, their corporations. Um, I think there is a president who can make the turn face those issues where Democrats actually are across the uh, uh, finish line. Well, we will watch in the weeks and months ahead if he indeed listens mm -hmm. to that. Stan Greenberg, appreciate your time tonight, sir. Thank mm -hmm. you. Let's take a deeper look at what Stan Greenberg was talking about there. He says there's a path back for the president, a path back to this, a map where you win the popular vote and you win the Electoral College. Right now, he says, because of the softness, weakness in the Democratic base, what President Biden would get is something more like this, a Republican win, this case, a Donald Trump win over Hillary Clinton back in 2016 because of the states I'm going to walk through right now. So let's come back to the 2020 map. He said softness among weakness among Latino voters. I was just out in Nevada. Uh, he's right. Anecdotally, what I saw supports what he shows in the poll. Imagine you won the state by 33,000 votes and changed President Biden in 2020 
Imagine if there's a drop in Latino vote for the Democrats, some for the Republican, maybe some stay home. Uh, that would be huge damage in a state where you just won. Move next to Arizona. Again, another place where the Latinos and others, young voters also critical out here, suburban voters. President won it only by 10,457 votes. If you have even the slightest drop-off or defection in your base, you lose the state. Uh, just one more. We were earlier this year in Wisconsin. Imagine if the black vote, either small percentage goes for Trump, some stays home, maybe a third-party candidate. In a state, you won only by 20,000 votes. That's what Stan Green was talking about, saying, wake up, White House. You have to get back on these issues to get it back. The biggest issue for the president is the economy. Let's just look at the numbers. I mean, any president, Democrat, Republican, would love to have these numbers. Nearly 200,000 jobs created last month. Since President Biden took office, more than 14 million new jobs in the United States. The unemployment rate is 3.7 percent. That is historically very, very low. You would think that, and it is for the White House bragging rights, except the American people just don't feel it. They don't see it. They don't accept it. Look at our polling. Keep those economy numbers up there. In our new CNN national poll, and this is backed up by Stan's polling, only one-third of Americans support the president's handling of the economy. Nearly seven in 10 disapprove, two-thirds. State of the economy, seven in 10 Americans. Look at that unemployment rate. Look at all those jobs. Seven in 10 Americans say the economy is bad. It's going the wrong direction. And they're not optimistic about a year from now when they will be voting to pick a new president or keep their current president. Six in 10 Americans say they believe the economy will be poor. You heard Stan Greenberg mention prices, inflation, gases. This is what we found in our travel. Listen here. These are two Republicans, one in Iowa, one in Nevada, who voted for Joe Biden because they couldn't vote for Donald Trump, who right now, though, feel economic stress. The economy is really bad. <laughs> and... Um, I, I, I don't know if I hadn't realized, but yesterday I went to the Mexican store and I bought three bolillos, this, you know, mm -hmm. um, and they used to be three for a dollar. Right now there's three for two dollars, which was a shocker to me. They doubled. They doubled the price. Yeah. I'm buying diapers. I, you know, was buying formula. Um, the gas prices, I've done some things to change the places where I shop. I purposefully go to Costco to fill my car with gas. Um, so things like that do affect me. In both of those interviews, one was a couple months ago, one was just last week, uh, the voters say they listen. Uh, some of them do see some signs of improvement when it comes especially to prices at the store. But they want to see and they want to hear from the president. They say they're not hearing solutions. So when Stan Greenberg, you heard in that interview, talks about the path back, Part of it is the president being more visible and vocal on those issues. At least that's what those voters told us. Out front next, the fallout growing after three Ivy League university presidents testified about anti-Semitism and genocide. Tonight's Harvard president breaks her silence as more than 70 lawmakers demand those presidents be fired. Plus, Russia pounding Kiev with a barrage of cruise missiles as Vladimir Putin cozies up to Iran. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protests that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. The fallout growing after the presidents of Harvard, MIT, and the University of Pennsylvania testified about anti-Semitism and genocide. A bipartisan group of 74 lawmakers just sent a letter to the schools demanding their boards immediately fire their presidents. 
Harvard's president, Claudine Gay, in a desperate attempt to save her job, says she's sorry for refusing to say the genocide of Jews would violate the school's code of conduct. This outrage underscores the growing question over whether some schools are doing enough to lower tensions when it comes to the Middle East. Miguel Marquez is out front. Shots fired outside Temple Israel, a synagogue in Albany, New York. We were told by uh, responding officers that he made a comment, uh, free Palestine. No one injured, but nerves frayed as anti-Semitic incidents are on the rise. Mufid Fawaz Al-Qadr, 28, now being investigated for a possible hate crime. I've directed our state police, as well as the National Guard, to be on high alert. The Big Apple seeing a spike in incidents motivated by hate. The numbers don't lie. We have a 250% rise in ethnically motivated hate crimes in New York City over the past two months. Anger and fear on college campuses, some of the nation's finest schools, MIT, Harvard, and the University of Pennsylvania. Their presidents facing withering criticism after failing to take a definitive hard line against calls for genocide during pro-Palestinian protests on their campuses. Ms. McGill, at Penn, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's rules or code of conduct? Yes or no? If the speech turns into conduct, it can be harassment. Yes. Shame! Shame! A protest outside the office of University of Pennsylvania President Liz McGill making clear there is no room for nuance on calls for genocide. Penn's president facing calls to resign. Harvard's president, Claudine Gay, issued a full-throated apology for her testimony. We embrace a commitment to free expression and give a wide berth to free expression, even of views that are objectionable. That apology in the Harvard Crimson, the student newspaper, Gay explained in part, calls for violence against our Jewish community, threats to our Jewish students, have no place at Harvard and will never go unchallenged. Anger and fear running in all directions after three Palestinian students were shot in Burlington, Vermont last month. Jason Eaton, the alleged shooter, has pleaded not guilty to attempted murder. The case is still being investigated as a possible hate crime. So this is the remnants of a protest that's been going on throughout the streets of New York, downtown New York City for much of today. Uh, this is Washington Square Park right next to NYU, another university where there have been protests. Most of the protests in New York, and they've been going on for weeks on end. They've called, increasingly calling for a ceasefire in Gaza. But that University of Pennsylvania president, her job is still very much up in question. The Board of Trustees met last night. There was no... Uh, Dis discernible uh, decision then, but we expect something one way or the other in the days ahead. John. Miguel Marquez, thanks so much. Out front next, Vladimir Putin turning to one of his friends, Iran, as his forces unleash a dizzying attack on Ukraine's capital. Plus, China flexing its military muscle near Taiwan in a rare nighttime show of force. Washington warning about the risk of war. Tonight, Ukraine intercepting a barrage of cruise missiles over Kyiv throughout this day, breaking a nearly 80-day pause in air attacks on the capital city. 
Many homes on the ground damaged by that debris. It comes amid growing fears of the battlefield impact as Congress is set to break for the holidays without passing billions of dollars in new aid for Ukraine. Nick Peyton Walsh is out front from eastern Ukraine. The ground is turning hard, even hostile, as winter sets in. But Ukraine appeared bullish Friday, releasing these drone images of strikes on Russian positions in the hotly contested eastern town of Avdivka. The light bravado of the soundtrack belying real Ukrainian anxieties that Russia's slow and brutal grind forwards in this town and elsewhere may be what persists in the savage cold of winter, not Western unity behind Ukraine as US Congress stalls in approving vital aid. Fears echoed in renewed dawn destruction Friday. Kharkiv here hit hardest perhaps, but across Ukraine an old terror returned to the skies. Cruise missiles fired at an array of targets, including the capital. Ukraine said 14 of the 19 fired were shot down, only debris hitting Kiev. But as they surveyed the damage, the White House is warning that air defences would be perhaps the first impacted when US aid ran out, was surely front of mind. Less fracture and debris in Moscow, where, in a year of surprises for the Kremlin, Friday had none. Vladimir Putin, prompted by a Russian occupying soldier, saying he would run again to be Russian president. Still, after facing down a coup and military setbacks in Ukraine, he said he had thought twice about it. I won't deny it, he said, but at different times I had different thoughts. This time, you're right, it is the time to be decisive. Like nearly everything in Russian politics, it was as arranged as the results in the March vote will likely be. Also on hand in Moscow was Iran's president, Ibrahim Raisi, one of the few world leaders who will still shake Putin's hand. His drones have aided Russia's bombardment of Ukraine cities all summer, and now winter has left Putin walking surprisingly tall. John, the last announcement from the Pentagon was $175 million of aid towards Ukraine. That would assist, yes, in HIMARS-targeted missiles, potentially javelin to uh, the anti-tank missiles. Uh, but it's really a paltry sum compared to the billions we got used to hearing every other week of US aid for Ukraine. They're deeply concerned, frankly, about what may happen on Capitol Hill. We don't have full transparency on what money is left, but this is exactly the time that Ukraine needs Western support most. The counteroffensive didn't do what they had hoped. Russia seems to be finding its feet again on the front lines uh, and this winter is bitter. It's going to help nobody, but it's certainly not a time in which Ukraine can hope to move forward decisively. John. Important reporting. Nick Payton Walsh on the ground for us. Thank you. Let's go out front now with retired Army General Ben Hodges. Uh, General, let's try to split the political statement here with the life and death questions here. One week until the Senate leaves for the holiday. Congress not close to an agreement as we speak tonight. Some in Congress think Ukraine actually could aid could go away for good if they can't figure this out. Let's deal with the what do we know? Nick Payton Walsh said it's a, mystery, a bit of a mystery. What do we know about the stockpiles, the warehousing right now in terms of what do they have left for anti-aircraft missiles? What's in the pipeline? As in when does this become not just a political debate, but a life or death situation on the ground? Well, first of all, if, if the Ukrainians were only able to shoot down 14 out of 19 drones and rockets that came in last night, 
that's a lower percentage than they have been knocking down in the past. That could be a combination of factors, but I think that's an indicator. And of course, the Russians are going to fill the sky with drones and rockets uh, in the coming weeks. I, I would imagine there is a real shortfall of air defense weapons. You say shortfall. And to that point, you said you think Russia will fill the sky. Uh, how much and how can Putin exploit this uncertainty? Well, look, um, I am sure that President Putin knows that his only hope of winning is that the West quits, that we lose the will to keep doing this. And so that's why he's willing to expend hundreds and hundreds of lives of his own soldiers every day in places like Avdivka. doesn't care how many he loses, but he knows that wears down the Ukrainians and it drags out this war. And so whenever he sees things like uh, what's happening in our Congress, the inability to deliver the aid that's needed, that is oxygen to the Kremlin. For they, it reinforces their belief that they're on the right track. That's, that's a real problem for Ukraine, and maybe it's also a real problem for us. What do you make of Putin announcing today that he will run uh, for re-election? That would be his fifth presidential term. Uh, I, I read that as him knowing this moment of uncertainty, essentially telling the Ukrainians, I'm not going anywhere, even though some of your friends are wavering. Do you see it that way? Um, yes, of course, a, a dictator is never going to give up power. I mean, he's, I don't think he had a retirement plan or plan to go off to Sochi and live out the rest of his years. This is, a, this is not a guy like most dictators or autocrats that uh, easily give up power. So it's not a surprise that he would announce he's staying. Um, clearly, he feels more confident now than maybe he did a few months ago about the direction of the war. And that's why I think it is so important that the president, uh, our president, has to explain to the American people why this is so important. This is not some far off border fight. This is important for American prosperity and American security. And if our president were to say, we are committed to Ukraine winning, that would derail Putin's strategy for a long war. Lieutenant General Hodges, grateful always for your time, sir. Thanks so much. Thank you, John. Out front next, China's latest show of force that has the White House, quote, seriously concerned. China making a rare nighttime show of force near Taiwan. More than a dozen Chinese fighter jets and nuclear-capable bombers operating around the island last night. Beijing making moves like this more and more, but almost always in the light of day. It comes as tensions are higher than ever in the region, with the White House warning it is, quote, seriously concerned about the situation. Well, Ripley has this story. You'll see first right here out front. From the Taiwan Strait to the South China Sea, saber-rattling and rising U.S.-China tensions. Beijing says the U.S. Navy illegally intruded its territorial waters, mobilizing China's military to track an American warship near the hotly contested Spratly Islands, nearly 700 miles away from the Chinese coast. A People's Liberation Army statement says the U.S. deliberately disrupted the situation in the South China Sea. The U.S. Navy says the ship was conducting routine operations in international waters consistent with international law. Taiwan keeping a close eye on the latest regional standoff between two global superpowers. Beijing's expanding military exercises and persistent incursions setting the stage for a powder keg. Taiwan bracing for potential conflict developing its first indigenous submarine, hoping to stop China from blockading the island. Taipei says Beijing is bolstering its military might on the sea, beefing up air bases, deploying drones and fighter jets near the island. 
A new report from Taiwan's defense ministry says the Chinese military uses realistic combat training and exercises to strengthen its preparedness against Taiwan. An island democracy, China's communist rulers claim as their own territory, despite never controlling it. Even unveiling a blueprint plan for one day integrating Taiwan. All on the verge of what could be its most crucial presidential election ever. Three political parties battling for the hearts, minds and votes of nearly 24 million Taiwanese. Last month, a nail-biting political showdown playing out live on screens across Taiwan. Rival leaders storming out, flinging accusations, the clock ticking toward a crucial registration deadline. Two opposition parties seen as friendly to China, failing to find common ground, paving the way for a three-way race. The ruling party seen as tough on China, taking the lead in early presidential polls. China policy will always be the single most important issue in Taiwan's presidential elections. Taiwan's ruling party promotes peace through military strength, prioritizing partnership with the U.S. over economic opportunities across the strait. The opposition says voters are choosing between war and peace. The mainland has always been a paradox for Taiwan. It's not only its biggest security threat, it's also its biggest economic partner. A delicate, dangerous dance. The U.S., China and Taiwan. The stakes could not be higher. And it's not just these military shows of force that they're concerned about here in Taipei. There was a meeting uh, with a Taiwanese official, our producer here, Eric Chung, had, and we just learned that they believe that China has essentially sent out a memo urging their disinformation warriors to act more effectively, more efficiently, and more discreetly so they can't be traced to try to influence the results of next month's presidential election here in Taiwan. As you know, the China-friendly party in the Lijian, China furious about that, trying to do everything they can on all fronts to stop that from happening. Consequential moment. Will Ripley, thank you very much. And before we go tonight, Anderson Cooper and Laura Coates will host CNN Heroes and All-Star Tribute this weekend. Here's a look at this year's Heroes. Sunday on CNN. We provide bilingual education for migrant and refugee children at the U.S.-Mexico border. Support the extraordinary people making a difference in our world. We are rebuilding the coral reefs here in the Florida Keys. I'm going to ensure that people in Ghana have access to health care. I see a pet in need and a person who cares for them dearly. Trauma can be a pathway for growth. We install child-friendly reading space in the barbershop. We all are connected because of the shared experience of having an incarcerated parent. There should be no homeless vets, period, none. I don't want to be defined as a victim of my circumstances. I do want to make sure that they get all the attention and love that they deserve. CNN Heroes, an all-star tribute, Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern on CNN. Thanks for joining us. Hope you have a peaceful weekend. Anderson Cooper 360 starts now. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. 
Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.